um, I felt the Lord really directed me to, uh, to, to, to have a series of messages. I don't do a lot of series, but I just felt this so clearly in my spirit. And so for the next, uh, including today, the next four services, so today and then the next three weeks, we're going to have a series on how to vote. And uh, some, some people may say, well, I didn't think that you could tell people how to vote. You absolutely can tell people how to vote. Um, and you'll see what I'm talking about when we get into this this morning. Um, we can't, we, how many know we have a voice? Amen. We have a voice and we have a mandate. So the four areas that we're going to cover over the next several weeks are how to vote concerning the sanctity of life. Marriage and the family, children and pride. Those four topics have just been on the forefront of my spirit. And I'm going to cover each one of those, one topic each week. And this morning, we're going to talk about the sanctity of life. As followers of Jesus Christ, we have a responsibility and a mandate to stand for Jesus with boldness and courage, despite public opinion or political discussion. I preached last week on courage to stand for Jesus. And if you didn't hear that message, go back and listen to it again. But this is really what we must do. Romans chapter 1 verse 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation. Get this next phrase, To everyone, that, to everyone who believes. To everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Do we get that? Sometimes in our Christian walk, we can not be self-aware or we can have just not remembered and, and it's not in the top of our minds that the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ is the one that is able to bring salvation. It brought salvation to us if we have, if we have trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior of our life. But it has the power to bring salvation to others that hear it as well. And so it is incumbent upon us as people of God to make sure that we propagate the gospel of Jesus Christ in every way possible. Some people may say, well, I don't feel like I can do very much. You can do more than you think you can do. At the start of the legislative session in the U.S. Senate, a daily prayer is typically offered by the Senate chaplain. And I found this nugget on April 18, 1947, Chaplain Peter Marshall, Marshall spoke the following words in prayer. Our Father, we yearn for a better understanding of spiritual things that we may know surely that thy will is for us and for our nation. Give us clear vision that we may know where to stand and on what to stand for. Because unless we stand for something, we shall fall for anything. Amen. Remind us, O God, that thou hast not resigned. Harassed and troubled by the difficulties and uncertainties of the hour, we rest our minds on thee who does not change. May it ever be in our minds as upon our coins that in God we trust for Jesus' sake. Amen. I thought that was a powerful prayer. And it's a reminder and really could fit today. There's an article that I, I found and I'm going to read a portion of that article. It's called Vote the Bible. Vote the Bible. 
by Pastor John Hagee. And this is what it says. If you do not use this freedom to defend your freedoms, you will lose your freedom. How free is your freedom? Mention the word freedom and every American stands tall. Freedom runs in our blood. That is the land, this is the land of the free, the home of the brave. This, is the, uh, this freedom allows us to speak openly, to assemble without fear, to worship as we please, and to freely elect those to represent our beliefs and lead our great nation. First to the men and women who have served or are serving in the armed forces of the United States, we salute you. You are our heroes. There are no words to thank you for your sacrifice and the sacrifice made by your families. It is because of the, of the watchmen in this great country that we are so greatly blessed with freedoms that many around the world can only dream of enjoying. You have, you have preserved our precious liberties. God bless you and God bless the USA. But how free is freedom? Are we taking these freedoms for granted? Are we refusing to vote when we don't like a candidate? Are we digging into God's word and doing our research to find out what a candidate stands for so that we can vote the Bible? Let me be very clear about this. We, as we are in the middle of another election season, one that will most certainly change this country forever, if you are eligible to vote, get out and do it. And when you vote, vote the Bible. It's time to stop making excuses. We can't talk about how bad things are, get, uh, how bad things are getting if we don't exercise one of your great if if we don't exercise one of your greatest freedoms and vote. If you refuse to vote, you give up your right to complain about the state of affairs in these United States. Friends, if you do not use this freedom to defend your freedoms, you will lose your freedom. We will all lose our freedom. Thomas Jefferson famously stated that the tree of liberty is watered with the blood of every generation. Men and women died so that you could have the opportunity to vote. Don't waste your vote. We need men and women in office all over this great country that believe in God, that read His Word and govern with righteousness. The Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. If you don't stand up and speak up, somebody else will. And don't bet that it will be someone who is in love with the Lord. Don't surrender your position to the liberal agenda that is sweeping this nation with a vengeance because the righteous refuse to take a stand. Regardless of your political affiliation, will you stand for freedom? Let your voice be heard this coming November. As citizens of the United States, we have uh, freedoms given to us by God and affirmed uh, by the nation's founders in our Constitution. We have the right to worship without government prohibition, although over the past few years some may have wondered about that. We also have the freedom of speech, which allows us to communicate ideas and engage in conversations without fear of imprisonment. Many countries do not have that same freedom and that same right, and we are very, very blessed to be able to live in a nation where that is still a freedom that we have. It is incumbent upon us to do everything within our ability to make sure that the, 
the gospel of Jesus Christ is reinforced in the public arena, in every area of our lives, and, and to the best of our ability, we must reinforce the gospel of Jesus Christ. What does this mean? I'm glad you asked. I'm not trying to tell you that we should expect our government representatives to proclaim the Scriptures to all its citizens, although that would be a wonderful idea were they to do that. And that really is a lot closer to what our founding fathers did. There were tests for public officials a few hundred years ago that they were not allowed to hold office unless they professed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It is in your history books in this country. Go and read it. What I'm saying is that biblical issues matter. They matter. There is a spiritual battle that is being waged against the devil to try not only to keep Jesus from being proclaimed, but to allow evil to gain access into every area of public life. And if you don't believe that, you just go back and, and think back five or ten years ago, maybe even not that long ago, and you can think of the things that were publicly acceptable just a few years ago that are just unimaginable yet today. And I wonder about what even yet will come as we don't even imagine it yet today. But I will say this, as salt and light the, the, that we are called to be, salt is a preservative, light is a directional beam which shows people the way to go. If we are pointed to Jesus and the salt of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news is a preservative to keep the, to keep secure the righteousness of the people of God and to also insulate from the rot that is going on in our public arena today. All you have to do is turn on social media and you see it full of all kinds of things. And if not careful, the men and women of God can be sucked or pulled into that arena and we can just, in our own human nature, we can just be... Uh, involved in those discussions and arguments. But we must not be pulled in to the exclusion of our relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, the devil would be much happier for you never to have discussed Jesus, to have never discussed the goodness of Jesus, the goodness of the Lord your God, and what difference He's made in your life. Proverbs 29.2 says, When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. How many know that whenever you've got... How many have ever worked for an employer that was a really great person to work for? And it made a big difference in your life. How many have ever worked for somebody that was kind of a rascal? And then it kind of made a real difference in your life. Which would you rather do? When people serve under righteous people, when you have people that are put on a pedestal as an example in the public arena and that rule over this nation, then we are much better off than when you have someone or, or when you have someone that rules from a non-biblical perspective. We have the responsibility not only as citizens but as Christians for, to vote what the Bible says. Polling doesn't matter to me. 
I don't care what poll is this. I don't care what, what people are thinking about this. What I care about is what does this Bible say? I don't care who's popular. I don't care what issue is popular, what topic is popular, what's trending on social media. I don't care. What I care about, as far as I'm concerned, is what does this book say? And how can I live out what this book says, not only in my conversation, but in my actions? Stand on the side of the Bible when it comes to voting on issues about which the Bible has been very clear. Stand on the side of the Bible when it comes to voting for candidates by determining where they stand as compared to the Word of God. Any issue or candidate that rejects the truth of the Bible should never gain the Christian's vote. Those who will stand against what this book says... Now, you have to be very careful because um, there's a lot of churches that have one of these and they don't believe all of it. They believe what's convenient. And many in our political arena, they want to be seen and favored by many people and they want to be uh, they want to be in good graces of of the people of God. I mentioned this a few weeks ago, that you can fool some of the people some of the time, you can fool some of the people all the time, but you can't fool God any time. And when you're on the side of righteousness and you're on the side of the Lord, when you know what the Word of God says, and you know what somebody is speaking, you know what's coming out of their mouth, and you know what to compare it to, as much as popular opinion might tell you that our vote should be about the economy or about which issue or candidate will deliver more goods or services into your life. It's not. It's never about the economy. It's never. Now, people put that and they rank it high. And yes, when the economy is not good, then people do suffer. People do. have It impacts them greatly. But you know what? My vote has nothing to do with the economy. My vote has to do with the word of God because I've got a promise in the book right here which says that God will never leave the righteous or forsake them, but he will be with us all the way. He is going to take care of his people. Amen? Amen. It's about righteousness and the word of God. Proverbs 14.34 says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin condemns any people. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin condemns any people. How to vote on the sanctity of life. I find it amazing that this should even be a question Mm -hmm. in anyone's mind. But I just want to clear up where, where God stands on the sanctity of life. And some people like to compartmentalize. They like to say, well, this over here, religion and politics don't mix. They absolutely mix. You don't get to have a political life as a child of God and a religious life that's totally separate over here. And for people to try to do that, it's like, oh, well, just live your life politically. Vote for the best deal over here in your own reasoning. Why would we trust our own reasoning for anything? Why wouldn't we trust in the Lord? It's critical that we trust in the Lord in every area of our lives. Sanctity. The word sanctity means sacredness or holiness. 
That's really what the essence of life is. Life is sacred. It is holy. It is sacred. Genesis 1.26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that, he may, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the air, over the livestock and all the wild, and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Genesis 2, 7, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. The King James says a living soul. He became a living soul. Everyone take a breath in. Let it out. That's the breath of God that is still in your lungs today that God breathed into Adam. And has been continuing all throughout this. Generation after generation. The Assemblies of God official position. Which is based on the Bible. Is that every human life from conception through death. Is therefore to be valued and respected. Nurtured and protected. Every human life is to be lived in obedience to God and His Word. The, the, the Bible describes a moral order to which all persons are responsible. At the end of life, every person will stand before God and give an account of our actions. 2 Corinthians 5.10 tells us, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Therefore, human beings are responsible to bring the light of God's word to decisions that bear on the sanctity of life. The Bible recognizes that a woman is with child even in the first stages of pregnancy. When the Virgin Mary was chosen to be the mother of Jesus and the angel made this announcement to her in Luke 1.31, he said, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son angel told Mary, I know what is in your womb, and it's a boy. It's a son. The angel then informed Mary that her cousin Elizabeth was pregnant. How many remember the story? In Luke 136, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child or a son in her old age. Scripture makes it clear that in the prenatal phase, both Jesus and John the Baptist were recognized as males well before the time of delivery, before uh, ultrasound, before scientific methods. God knew what was in within those mothers. John before birth is recognized as a baby in Verse 41, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And verse 44, for behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. Can you imagine that? This translates 
a Greek word used for children both before and after birth. The same word in your Bible that is referenced is the same word. There is no distinction and no difference made in this child in describing it in the original language either before or after birth. It's the same word. The Bible always recognizes the prenatal phase of life so that a child is not a mere appendage of the mother's body to be aborted at will. God spoke through Isaiah in Isaiah 44 too. This is what the Lord says. He who made you, who formed you in the womb and who will help you. Do not be afraid, O Jacob, my servant. And again in verse 24, this is what the Lord says. Your Redeemer who formed you in the womb. I am the Lord who has made all things. Verse 24. And then David summed it up. In Psalm 139, David said this, 139, 13, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Hallelujah. Our, just, our uh, general superintendent, Doug Clay, wrote an article called After Row, What? Seven Ways to Make an Abortion, to Make Abortion Unthinkable. Seven ways to make abortion unthinkable. And many of you know, unless you have just been living secluded somewhere, um, on Friday, June 24th of this year, this U.S. Supreme Court handed down its decision in Dobbs versus Jackson, Jackson Women's Health Organization. The Constitution, this is what they wrote, the Constitution does not confer a right to abortion. Roe and Casey are overruled and the authority to regulate abortion is returned to the people and their elected representatives. Dobbs is a momentous legal decision. For too long, the court's ruling in Roe v. Wade in 1973 and Planned Parenthood v. Casey in 1992 placed constitution, constitutional obstacles in the path of legal protections for unborn children. And now Dobbs clears that path. Praise the Lord. Voting to change laws and public policies is not our only responsibility, but we must do that. The law can restrict the supply of abortion providers, but it does nothing to limit the demand for abortion. I want you to get that, folks. We can, we can vote to pass laws and we can vote to, to restrict abortion to the best of our ability, but it doesn't solve the problem any more than taking guns away solves the problem of murder. Because guns are not the problem, it's the heart of the individual behind the gun. As Christians, our larger responsibility is to limit demand by making abortion unthinkable. Below 
Pastor Doug offers a checklist of seven ministries that will help to do that. Seven ministries. There is an urban legend that Christians only want to prohibit abortion. The reality is that we've been operating pregnancy resource centers. You may not be aware of this, but I'm just letting you know the Assemblies of God has been operating pregnancy resource centers, food banks, and other compassion ministries for decades. And after row, our responsibility to improve, expand, and better publicize these ministries, which includes, number one, prayer. Prayer. Prayer is the central petition of the Lord's Prayer. The central petition of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6.10 says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Killing a child in the womb is not God's will. So asking God to help change people's hearts and minds is absolutely appropriate and essential. Lord, change the hearts of those who would seek to end that precious life. Number two is pregnancy resources. Heartbeat International is the nation's largest network of pregnancy resource centers. Each year it serves, get this, it's staggering 1.5 million clients, helping 300,000 expectant mothers choose life. In understanding abortion statistics, the organization explains why pregnant women choose abortion. And you may not be aware of this, but I want you to know. Women's reasons for seeking abortion include financial reasons, 40%. Timing, 36%. Can you imagine? It's not the right time, so I need to end this pregnancy. Partner-related reasons, 31%. And the need to focus on other children, 29%. Most women reported multiple reasons for seeking an abortion, 64%. These concerns need to be addressed immediately. And I will say that there was a time when the church, by and large, behaved in a very negative way toward expectant mothers who had unplanned pregnancies. That is not the love of God. I'm just here to tell you that when any woman finds herself in a situation that perhaps is not something that she expected or maybe is contemplating whether she wants, it is not the love of God to shun that woman. It is not. According to Heartbeat's research, the average woman choosing abortion makes the decision, get this, within a day of confirming her pregnancy and obtains an abortion within the next week. If she feels befriended, and I want you to hear this, if she feels befriended and resourced, she is more likely to choose life. How do we make a difference as children of God? We need to make sure that we have relationships with people. It's not about just this group of people. We need to have relationships, meaningful relationships with other people outside of our normal area of life. We need to also have those depth of relationships. Unconditional love is what we need. Number three, post-birth resources. As noted above, financial concerns drive, drive many women to choose abortion. These concerns don't go away just because they choose life. The Bible teaches us to put 
our time, our talent, and our treasure in the service of the poor. I preach messages about that. You know that from the word of God. If anyone has, John, uh, 1 John three seventeen says, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. I've said it before as the, as the uh, mission statement of our church, serving God, loving all with compassion. When we put that together, serving all means that it doesn't matter how that individual came to be in the situation that they are in. What matters is that we serve them and we love them through every situation and through every crisis. Number four is foster care and adoption. As Christians, we want all children to be protected by law and welcomed in life. In any given year, there are approximately 400,000 children in U.S. foster care systems. Can you imagine that? There are parents that are out there that do not have the ability or they've had situations that prevent them from being able to care for their own children. Many times there have been abusive situations as they are not able to be in the home with their biological parents anymore. There are 400,000 children that are in the U.S. foster care system and the need the system needs both foster and adoptive parents. And some people may say, well, pastor, I just can't do that. I can't. But no, you can, there are some things you can do. This is not a list here to say we need every one of us needs to do all of these things. We can all do something. Number five is discipleship. The church's mission to make disciples of all nations, according to Matthew 28, 18. A comprehensive discipleship program will include instructions about sexuality. Two elements that the program should be should be the sanctity of marriage. Hebrews 13 and 4 tells us that. And the sanctity of life from Exodus 20 and 13. Contemporary culture honors neither the sanctity of marriage or the sanctity of life. And that is so true. I watched a, a, a snip from a recent show and... It just it blows my mind again where our culture is today. How a guy goes up to his girlfriend and he says, I've got a big question to ask you. And you're thinking he's going to pop the question. And he says, I have a really serious question to ask you. We've been dating for a while. And he said, I think I want, he said, this is, I would love it if you would move in with me. I heard that and I thought that in our culture today is the progression of the next step. Marriage is not essential anymore in our worldview, but it's absolutely essential. It's absolutely essential. And the sanctity of marriage should be protected and taught in our churches. And it should be reinforced in our conversations. It should be reinforced in our conversations. For some, the freedom to have sex outside of marriage requires the right to abortion. It's not surprising that 85% of women who contemplate abortion are single. 
85% of women who contemplate abortion are single. According to the Heart to Heartbeat International, sadly, 38% say the baby's father had the most influence in the decision to abort. Rather than taking responsibility for their children, these men are pressuring women into abortions, just like they likely pressured them into having a sexual relationship. And I will say here today that young women... It doesn't matter if you're young or old. Women do not allow men to pressure you. If they want something other than dating and marriage and following this book, they're not good enough to be in a relationship with you because the sexual relationship is preserved for the marriage bed. That's what it's for. And young men, if you're pressuring women... You need to have another dose of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You need to surround yourself with godly people who will help you in those times that you think, well, I've, I've just got to, to have these relationships and the Lord will help you and will show you and direct you the right way because God has a specific person for each one of us. He has a specific person for each one of us. I know this isn't a popular message, but it's a biblical one. Our discipleship resources must teach about human sexuality, premarital and marriage counseling and parenting classes. Number six is evangelism. The gospel is the divine solution to the human problem. The gospel is the divine solution to the human problem. Paul summarizes both the problem and the solution in Romans 3.23. The problem is that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone has sinned. You've sinned. I've sinned. The solution is that all are freely justified by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. We receive this justification by faith apart from the works of the law, verse 28 tells us. We are justified by our faith in Jesus Christ. Many women who choose abortion feel guilt and shame afterwards. They know they made a sinful choice. Men who pressured their girlfriends or wives to come into, to have a, into an abortion can have similar feeling. Even abortion providers sometimes come to recognize the sinfulness of their actions. And our goal is to provide a clear pathway to repentance and restoration for people who have participated in the sin of abortion. And number seven is collaboration, which means choosing life really can feel like a daunting task. Women considering abortion may feel alone, under-resourced, and overwhelmed. But local churches, this is where we step in, sometimes feel we don't have the resources to meet the needs in our community, but we don't have to feel alone, and neither do the people in our community. The church can come alongside the women considering abortion with a message of hope and with compassion. Local churches and organization can, organizations can partner with others to meet the needs. Brother Clay goes on to write, I celebrate the fact that the Supreme Court has overruled Roe versus Wade. It does not change the church's responsibility to pregnant women and their children, however. After Roe, let us redouble our ministry, ministries to them, demonstrating the good news of the gospel that the gospel cares as much about our bodies as it does about our souls. 
Abortion will become unthinkable when humanity realizes that we are workmanship. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he has prepared for us in advance. Ephesians 2.10. We are God's workmanship. And that precious child is holy. That precious child is a creation of the Lord. I know that I focused a lot of my time on the sanctity of life on abortion. And it's probably the most prevalent thing in our societal discussions today. But all life is precious. All life is precious. And we must not let what we see taint God's call to bring compassion and healing and restoration to someone else's heart and life. I've used this story a number of times, but as a young man, when we attended Faith Assembly of God, there was a season for a few years that I went with a team of people to a nursing home one Saturday a month. And many times, the nursing home is the last stop for many people before they leave this life. And I remember that as we were there every uh, one Saturday a month, we would go into the rooms of the people and those who were mobile and wanted to come to a short service that we would have in the common area. We would, if they were not capable, but they wanted to come and they had a wheelchair, we would push them out into the common area and we'd have some songs and there was the word given and we'd have prayer. And I can remember a, a dear brother who's gone on to be with the Lord named Johnny Lawless, precious man. And uh, I'm in my early 20s and, and Johnny was probably, I don't know, in his 50s somewhere. A lot more life experience than I had. And we would go into the rooms of the people who weren't able to come out. And brother Johnny would go in and he would offer to pray with people who wanted prayer. And in my young years, I hadn't seen a lot of the raw atrocities of physical conditions of people who are suffering. And I can remember we went into the room of this man. I can still see it in my mind just like it was yesterday. And we went into the room of this man who was laying on his bed and the man was just simply skin and bones and I can remember that his knee socket was about the size of my fist and his shin bone was so much thin and his knee was bigger than his thigh he was just emaciated and he talked with the man and he said can we pray with you and I was still just so raw with emotion after having seen this poor man that was laying there. But Brother Johnny pressed in and as we prayed, he led in prayer and he said these words. And I will never forget them as long as I live. He said, God, you see this man's beautiful soul. Inside 
That house of flesh is a soul that was created by God. Each one of us, that breath of God that we breathed in earlier, we are living souls. Those ones that have limited capability, they are limited. They are limited in mobility. They, they are precious living souls. Those ones that may not act just right or the way that people expect them to act, they are living souls. Those precious babies that are in the womb of the mother that's supposed to nurture them are precious living souls that God recognizes. We came back from a uh, general council. We've only been to two because it's fairly expensive to travel and go. But every two years, the Assemblies of God has a general council where all of the whole country goes to. Uh, the, the churches and pastors and ministers and whoever would like to come from the churches can go. And many times they'll have them in places like California or Florida or uh, they've been in Arizona, in different places in the country. And this particular time we went to Florida. Pastor Herbert Cooper of People's Church in Oklahoma City was the featured speaker this one year in 2009. And this, this message made such an impact on me that um, we had a Sunday night service that we dedicated within the next year, I believe it was, where we actually, I showed that video to the church. Technology wasn't such there where we had internet and all that kind of stuff hooked up, but we were able to, we were able to, to show that video. And Pastor Cooper preached on the lost coin, and he talked about how that, and parallel that to us looking for the lost and that there's one more. That was his title of the message, one more. There's one more out there. There's one more soul that we can reach. And I remember when we came back from that meeting, that series of meetings that we went to in Orlando in 2009, we went to Walmart. I never had this experience before. Never really thought about it. But as I looked out across just, you know, when you go to Walmart, there's a sea of people. Mm -hmm. And as I looked out across that crowd that was in the store that day, I said, Lord, each one of those people is a soul. Each one of those people is a soul. Church, we are here to be salt and light and to reach those souls. To show care and compassion at whatever stage of life that they're in. Because life is absolutely precious. Life is sacred. Life is holy. It is, there is a sanctity of life that God has. And we must hold that same sanctity of life. All life is precious. God gives life. He's given us eternal life if we've trusted in him for the forgiveness of our sins. And he gives us life each and every day when we get up in the morning. Just like the song we sang earlier, I will sing of the goodness of God from the moment that I wake up until I lay down my head. He has been so good. Are we able to convey just how good that God is to others that we come into contact with?
We must do our, our utmost, not just to believe, but to take it to the next step into actions and practical ways that we can reach life and to stand up for life. And we come back full circle to how we vote. How we vote on issues and candidates based on their view of the sanctity of life is critical and essential to affirming the sacredness and the precious gift of life that God has given. I've heard people say, well, I'm not a single issue voter. If someone is unwilling to stand for life, they're unwilling to stand for the truth. I understand where some people are coming from, but you don't understand how the economy has affected me. In light of eternity, it won't matter a hundred years from today. Amen. It will not matter. But if our vote can save one life, it's all worth it. It's all worth it. I'll close with this story. It's been told, I think there's different versions of the story, but I've told the story before a while back where a little boy is along the beach with his grandfather walking and all of these little sand dollars have washed up on the shore and there's thousands of them, thousands of them. And the grandfather stoops over and picks up one and he throws it back in the ocean. And he picks up another and he throws it back into the ocean. And he said, what are you going to do? What are you doing? He says, I'm throwing these back into the ocean because if they lay up here on the beach, they will die. And he said, look at all the ones that are out here. It can't possibly make a difference. And he leans over and he picks up another one and he says, it will make a difference for this one. And he throws it in. We might not can make a difference Amen. in a vast way, but if each one of us can make a difference for one, it will make a difference in light of eternity. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, I thank you for your goodness and mercy. I thank you for calling us to righteousness. You have been so, so good to us. Lord, as we prepare for this season, Lord, when politics and political talk will be everywhere on every airwave, on all social media platforms and negative things will be said, let us find the courage to stand for the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when it comes to life issues, let us always be on the side of your word when it comes to the Bible. Lord, may our speech and our actions result in those things that will bring glory to you because the day will come when we can stand before you with a clear conscience and we can say, Lord, I did my absolute best 
Not only in my private life, but in my conversations and in my public actions. To have said I did my best to stand up for the cause of Christ. I thank you for that and I praise you for it. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.